to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, every time in history the church has sought to exercise political power or gain authority over people's lives or whatever, it's turned out to be an absolute disaster. And understandably, because we're all still sinners. But that will not be the case in the kingdom age because we will be forever freed from the sinful condition and now glorified. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, in a message titled, The Reign of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So as some of you will remember, we've come in our study of Revelation to the place where the Lord has returned. We saw the return of the king and we saw that Upon the return of Jesus, of course, there was the judgment against the forces that would gather against him, the, the beast and the false prophet who uh, led everyone astray. They've been judged. They've been cast into the lake of fire. The devil, who's the inspiration behind the whole thing, he's been bound and, and cast uh, into a prison for a thousand years. And now we come to the setting up of the kingdom. And that's what we want to talk about today. The history of the world has been, among other things, a demonstration of man's inability to govern himself and of one failed attempt after another to usher in an ideal society. If you study history, that's really what it is. And, you know, coming from a place where we just, you know, walked through so much history. It's amazing to, to look back over all of the centuries and to think of these great kingdoms, these great empires that once existed that have been reduced to just a pile of stones today. And, and to see the, the cycle just being repeated over and over and over again of man attempting to set up the ideal society but it just is never realized. It can't be realized because of the sinful condition of man. But it will happen when Jesus comes again. And so when he comes, he will set up that long-awaited kingdom. And that's what Revelation 20 tells us about. It's about the 
the setting up of the kingdom, the reigning uh, with Christ over the world. Now, it's interesting though here in Revelation 20, although it is the kingdom, the long-awaited kingdom that is being established here, Revelation 20 doesn't give us any specific detail about it. It just sort of, you know, kind of skims over it, just says that they shall live and reign with him. They reign with him a thousand years, but it doesn't tell us any of the specifics. And the reason for that, I think, is because the prophets have already given us all of those details. So in order to understand what the kingdom is going to look like, at least in its first phase, we have to go back to the Old Testament prophets and even to the words of Jesus himself, because it's there that we get the, the detailed picture. So we're gonna be doing that today. We're gonna to look at a lot of scripture today. Today is really gonna be kind of a Bible study in the truest sense where we're just gonna go through and look at uh, numerous passages. But what we wanna break it down into is, uh, first of all, what is gonna happen immediately after the Lord returns and deals with the instigators of the, the conflict that takes place there, the battle for Jerusalem. And then we want to look at how the kingdom begins to be established and what that is going to entail. And then finally, we want to look at the application for us today because it's important to remember that although the kingdom is coming in the future, it has already come in one sense and we don't want to overlook that. So we'll look at that as our final point today. But what is the first thing that happens once Jesus comes and deals with the opposing forces that are coming against Jerusalem and ultimately coming against him? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is there will be a judgment of the nations. And Jesus himself told us about this in Matthew 25. So what I would encourage you to do rather than turn to the passages, you can if you'd like, uh, but maybe just jot down the scripture references and you can read them over later. But Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34, then verses 45 and 46, Jesus tells us about this judgment of the nations. Now remember, there are, uh, there are going to be people that live through, they survive this tribulation period. And as we pointed out, the final conflict, although it will be definitely what you would categorize as a world war, there will be many parts of the globe that uh, people will you know, be, in a sense, out of harm's way and, and will survive. They'll live through that horrific time. And for those nations that survive, Jesus tells us that there is a judgment for them that will come. And so we read in Matthew 25, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So you see the picture, all of the nations are gathered before the Lord. And now he is going to separate them. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, 
Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So this is where things begin. The kingdom is going to begin to be established. And now it, it all starts with a separation of the, the sheep, the believers from the goats, the unbelievers that survive the tribulation. And now from that point, we get into the specific details of what this rain is going to entail. Now, what we're talking about here, you might have heard the term before the millennium. Well, millennium means 1,000. And we're talking here about the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, we need to be clear that the reign of Christ is eternal. When Jesus comes back, he will establish his kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's not a temporary kingdom of a thousand years, but there is an aspect of it that is specifically a thousand years. And there will be a, a brief disruption, uh, not even so much an interruption because it's not like Christ is going to lose his power briefly. He doesn't, but there will be a disruption at the end of the thousand years where Satan, who is in prison, will be released once again. He will deceive a multitude from the nations. They will come up against the holy city. They will attempt an overthrow, and they will be destroyed. And then you have heaven and earth passing away, and you have a whole new heaven and a whole new earth being established. But Jesus reigns from the moment that he comes back all the way through on into eternity. But what we're looking at here when we look at the millennium is we're looking at his reign in the actual city of Jerusalem, sitting on the ancient throne of David and ruling over the Jewish people, the house of Jacob. That's what the millennium is going to look like, at least from, from the, uh, the center of it. It's going to include the whole world. But the base for the kingdom will be in the city of Jerusalem. And so millennium, as I said, means a thousand. And in this 20th chapter, we're told six times that Jesus will reign and we will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, there are those today in the church who deny that there is a thousand-year reign of Christ. They say, that's just an indefinite number. It doesn't, it's not literal. It shouldn't be taken literally. And they are known theologically as amillennial, amillennial, however you want to pronounce the A, which means they don't believe in a millennium. They just believe that Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be an eternal reign from that point on. So... It's, it's true that there will be an eternal reign, but there's this 1,000-year period that, for whatever reason, they don't really take seriously. But I think it's important that we take it seriously because, after all, it says it six times <laughs> that there is a 1,000-year reign. But those who take the amillennial position generally do not see that Israel has a future 
in the sense that we believe that they do. And that's why they can dismiss the thousand years as being symbolic rather than literal. But if you go back and take the Old Testament promises to Israel seriously, and the promise of a king sitting upon the throne of David, this is where it takes place in the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ. So I wanna just walk you through the details of the millennium. First thing to note is that this is the place where we rule and reign with Christ. The church has been given promises over and over again, and here in the book of Revelation as well, that we will be reigning with Christ during that time. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said this. He said, it is a faithful saying that if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Many promises given to the church that we would reign with the Lord, that we would be involved in the judgment or the, the administration of the affairs of the world. The, the sixth verse that we read here today, blessed and holy is you as part in the first resurrection over such a second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So, so for the millennium, the church, which of course is distinct from Israel, and the situation on the one hand is Israel that Jesus will reign over are, are people just like we are today. We will be glorified at that time. So we will no longer be the people that we are now. We will be perfected, we will be glorified, we will be sinless, we will be like the angels, we will, we will be in, the, in a permanent, perfected state. That is how the church will reign with Christ. And it's important to, to remember that, that it's the perfected saints who will administrate the kingdom. It's important to remember that because only in the perfected state are we fit to administrate the kingdom. You know, every time in history, the church has sought to exercise political power or, you know, gain authority over people's lives or whatever, it's turned out to be an absolute disaster. And understandably, because we're all still sinners. And we still have those propensities toward oppression and selfishness and all of that. But that will not be the case in the kingdom age because we will be forever freed from the sinful condition and now glorified, perfected. And that is how the church will administrate the kingdom during that age. So that's where the church is for the thousand years. We are in that place of, of ruling and reigning with Christ. Now we shift the focus to Israel. And it's here during this thousand years that the kingdom will be restored to Israel. Jesus, when he was about to ascend into heaven, Acts chapter one, maybe you remember the disciples asked him this question. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they understood that there was to be a restoration of the kingdom. They understood that the promises to David were promises that were to go on forever. They understood that the prophets had declared that there would be this, this righteous reign. So they're asking the question, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the answer to the question was no. 
I'm not going to restore the kingdom at this time. He wasn't saying he wasn't going to restore it. It just, he wasn't going to restore it at that time. And so the time for the restoration of the kingdom will be when the Lord returns, when Jesus comes the second time. And then Israel will inherit the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So all of those promises that God made will finally be realized. They never had been realized before. The furthest extent of Israel's authority fell short of the boundaries that God had originally set for them. Under David and Solomon, that's when the kingdom expanded its furthest. You know, on this trip that I just returned from, we didn't only tour Israel, but we, we crossed the border and we went over into Jordan. And I was, I was really amazed at how much biblical history there is in Jordan as well. First of all, two and a half of the original 12 tribes of Israel settled in what is known as Jordan today. And not only that, but later David's kingdom would have expanded and covered that whole area of Ammon, of Moab, and Edom, which are all today parts of what we know as Jordan. And so it will be during this millennium that Israel will inherit all of the promises that God had originally made to them. Let me quote to you from Ezekiel, first of all, and then secondly, from Zechariah. And like I said, you might, you might turn in your Bibles or you might just jot these down and look at them later. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 28 reads like this. For I will take from among the nations, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put new, a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Now, we know that the Jewish people, of course, many of them anyway, are in the land of Israel today. And they are there undoubtedly by the providence of God. God has providentially placed them there, but they are unclean. They have not yet been cleansed. You know, much of the nation is atheistic. And those who are not atheistic are just engaged in legalistic, ritualistic religion. But the idea of any kind of a, a literal, you know, personal loving relationship with God doesn't exist except among those who are believers in the Messiah, which are a very small number. There's approximately 8 million people in Israel today, and the estimated numbers of believers in Jesus as the Messiah is about 20,000. 20,000, some, some double that and say, oh, maybe, maybe you could push it to 40,000. But think about that. In a country full of millions of people, that's a very small number. So we have to understand that Israel as it is today, although they're there providentially by the plan and purpose of God, they're not there 
in the fullest sense that they will be when the Lord comes back. They're there in unbelief and they're there in sin and they're there in uncleanness. But that will change. Zechariah chapter eight, verses three through eight says, thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, which I can tell you is not the case today. The mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people. I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. So this is what it's gonna look like when the Lord comes back. You know, as I said, it shall be called the city of truth. It is anything but that today. Wherever you go in the city today, you find it's just... It, uh, infected with, with deceit and with lies and with false religion. As a matter of fact, the UN has uh, recently referred to the, what is called the Temple Mount, the place where the Jewish temple originally stood. The UN no longer refers to that as the Temple Mount, but they refer to it as the Al-Aqsa Mount. And what they're saying is that they do not acknowledge any Jewish presence in that place in ancient times. They're dating it back to the mosque in the, the late 600s, and they're now referring to it as, you know, one of the, the UN is referring to it as one of the, the ancient holy sites of Islam without any acknowledgement of Israel's uh, previous existence there at that place. So this is the kind of lying and deceit, not to mention the false religion that's there. But also I look at the passage here in Zechariah where he speaks of the beautiful situation of the streets being full of boys and girls and so forth. And of course today we know that in many of the places in the land that is, it's not really possible because it's not safe. And even as we walk the streets of Jerusalem, you know, you can't help but have the thought cross your mind that, you know, somebody could come out with a suicide vest on and just blow themselves up here because that happens. It happens all too often. But it won't happen in the future because Christ will set up his kingdom. And so Israel inherits the land that was promised to them. The throne of David is established. You see, God gave a promise to David that one of his descendants would sit upon the throne and would rule over the house of Jacob. And as a matter of fact, that promise was communicated to Mary by Gabriel in Luke chapter two, that he would, uh, or Luke chapter one, that he would sit upon the throne of David and rule over the house of Jacob forever.
For the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady. How can we believe in a God who allows good people to die and let bad people live? How can we believe in a God who allows children to be abused without any earthly consequences? And if God is so good and loving, then why do bad things happen? Questions just like these are just some of the barriers that keep people from embracing Christianity. Maybe one of these questions is exactly what keeps you from embracing Christianity. Well, in his book, The God I Won't Believe In, Nick Cady addresses these and other topics that are hindering many today. If you want to challenge some of the most common barriers to Christianity in today's culture or face the barriers on your own, this book will help you understand what the Bible says about these and other topics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.